You are listening to episode 368 of the GNU World Order. My name's Klaatu. Hey everybody, this is GNU World Order. And we are looking at every single package that comes installed by default on Slackware. This series has been following Slackware 14.2. I'm, I'm quite aware that Slackware current is in a very different state than 14.2. But since 14.2 is what I run, that's what I've been going off of. And frankly, the... The, the, the number or the, the variety of packages in Slackware current aren't aren't substantially different uh, from 14.2. I mean there are differences here and there, but but for in terms of the things that you could execute on your system, not all that different. What if you're not running Slackware at all? Well, that's okay. You can probably find these applications in your software repository as long as you're running Linux or possibly even BSD to some degree so you can still follow along. And if you're not, that's fine. You can just learn about all of the different applications available on Linux, and there are many of them. Today, we're going to be talking about Linux Doc Tools. Linux Doc Tools, uh, we started in episode 366, I think. Yeah, because 367, we skipped, or we, we took a break from, to talk about Debian. So uh, this, this package is not, we're not finished with it yet. There's quite a ways to go, so let's get started. In the previous episode, we left off with a series of docbook2 and then some conversion target. So docbook2html, docbook2man, docbook2pdf, and they all worked basically the same. Uh, I'll skip over all the, the, the individual ones because we we did a, a an experiment with the uh, docbook2html, I think. It worked as expected. I think I did a conversion to PDF as well. It worked after we installed a PDF conversion engine. I think we all get the idea for those. Handy, useful, one-off commands, hyper-specific, that's fine. I'm going to mention, though, and this is why I'm talking about this, I want to mention docbook to rtf i've i think i've talked about rtf before on this uh, on this show it's been a while though and so i want to revisit that i just want to urge you whoever you are wherever you are whatever you're running not to use rtf this isn't sort of one of those weird um sort of um text format elitist things that sometimes i i suffer from you know i mean i i Text formats, for me, they're something that I use a lot. And so there is a bit of, um, I guess, elitism, I guess, uh, or, or just maybe just being picky, be, being being highly, highly particular. I, 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 I fall prey to that sometimes because, frankly, it's, it's important uh, for, the, for the duration of your, your document. It's going to be in a format that you choose. And if you choose a format that is not a great idea for whatever reason, and there are many different reasons a text format might, might not be the best format you could choose, then I, I feel like then you have to live with that choice for a long time. And that can be frustrating. And that's why I'm, that's why I, I like to discuss it because I've personally struggled with that a lot in the past. I've, I've gone through lots of different formats and then three, five, ten years later had to live with the ramifications of why did I save that file in that format? So it's important to me. RTF is called the rich text format. I, I'm inclined to think that it wouldn't have really gone very far if it hadn't been for a, a relatively uh, cross-platform presentation or support uh, for a little while. RTF for, for a wee while, but a very significant while, was 
almost your only fail-safe option if you wanted to get a document from a Windows machine to a Mac machine. That was, the R RTF was kind of the way to go. And I, I, I should say, a document with formatting embedded into it. That was kind of the only option. So if you were someone who grew up on word processors and you knew that you wanted to make your titles big and you wanted to make certain words italic and bold and so on, you didn't know HTML maybe, you grew up on word processors, that's what you're used to, you want to get a document from here to there with all of that stuff intact. RTF from about 1987 to 2008, or it was supported from 87 to 2008. I don't know, I can't remember when it kind of got introduced on, on Mac, but for a, for a while, that was the way that you could do it. That was the way you could get that document intact to the other platform. And when I say the other platform, I'm, I'm of course being intentionally limiting the scope here, because a lot of people in this scenario wouldn't know that there were other platforms. It, it's either a Windows or a Mac world for a lot of people. And so, getting a document with all the formatting without learning something fancy and crazy like HTML plus CSS, RTF was the way because that was the, that was the one shared format. It, it, it came installed by default on Mac OS. It was supported by default on Mac, supported by default on Windows because Microsoft uh, developed it. And so that was the easy way. Now, if you ever look at an RTF document, you will find all kinds of horrific markup in there. It is the worst format. It's just not human readable. I mean, it is, but not really. It's, it's, it's heavily, heavily munged. It, it has a bunch of junk in there that is very difficult to then separate. Why that's important is because when support drops from RTF, which Microsoft sort of walked away from that format back in 08, support drops from that, then you're left with all these RTF documents that you've saved over the course of, you know, anywhere from 1987 to 2008 in this format that is no longer supported by any OS. Again, I say any OS, and, and that's kind of an exaggeration because technically you can you can get RTF documents open and, and opened with the format, most of the formatting intact, but you'd have to, you'd have to know where to look. And a lot of people under this, my assumption is that the, the people most at risk, most victimized by RTF, wouldn't know where to look. They don't. They don't understand that there's some application out there that they could download that would reverse engineer RTF and present it to them in the format that they expect. That to them would be a big hack. Like that would be really cool to discover such a thing, to even think of such a thing. So, in other words, RTF it was walked away from. Support is highly limited. And in terms of extracting the raw data, it's very difficult. So I'm urging you not to use RTF. Do not convert anything to RTF ever. There are far superior formats like HTML if you if you if you want that sort of cross-platform compatibility and and the embedded style. Um, there's obviously Markdown and ASCII doc in particular. So that's what we're talking about here with Linux doc tools. Uh, there's DocBook. There's LaTeX. Uh, there's Groff. We've already talked about Groff for like three episodes. So there's there's lots of different formats that are well supported and much much uh, highly more a lot more supported than RTF, including ODT from you know for LibreOffice. I mean, just put it into an ODT file. That's fine. It's an XML backend. You'll never know the difference. So do not do not do not go to RTF under any circumstance. That's my 
public service announcement for this for this episode. Okay, so we're not talking about that. Um, I just wanted to sort of issue the warning. Next package in our big list of Linux doc tools is the GNOME doc prepare tool. This is um, not very useful for for I think probably most people. It's a um, it's a highly specialized and specific tool. It is a shell script which takes a project that has been prepared with in in the uh, GNU auto tools uh, framework and and that's the the one that you do the dot slash configure make make install that that sort of thing that's that's auto tools that's what enables that and it's a series of make files and, and funky macro files that that all act in coordination together to to produce a standardized output gnome doc prepare is a little um, a little insertion or a little hack that that sort of you can drop in or that you can run you can execute this shell script from within an auto tools project it detects all of the auto tools settings and then it it adds in its own gnome specific make file which you can read for yourself if you really want to i don't know why you would but you can, and it is located in slash user share slash doc, uh, rather gnome doc utils slash gnome doc utils dot make. You can look at that file. It is over 700 lines of code, so it's gonna take a while to read. It's a lot of uh, said statements and and um, and tests and 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 variable settings and extracting sort of information from the the make environment that that that's already existing and converting it over to this gnome specific uh, make uh, environment so it is something it, it's a bit of a hack that takes documentation that's going to be generated by a an auto tool sort of the default documentation and it converts it into this very pleasant structured gnome specific documentation style. I won't say format, because it's not the format that we're concerned about. It's really the styling. And in fact, you can kind of see that... Well, no, it is... No, it's not the format, it's the style. Because it's also some of the shared... Or the uh, save locations and things like that. Which I don't think you would classify that as, as the format of the documentation. That's just where the documentation lives on the system. So if you're not running a GNOME environment, this is truly, truly useless. And uh, GNOME, of course, doesn't ship with Slackware, so this is probably useless to you if you're running Slackware. Um, obviously, Linux, I mean, with GNOME having been sort of the original open source and truly free software desktop environment. There's a lot of defaulting to GNOME within Linux development, which, I mean, I think that's fair. The The cute library set way back when was not fully open source. I don't, I, I'm, I know, f uh, I, I'm pretty sure that I would not have been using KDE had I been a Linux user back then. I would have just gone to GNOME because KDE at that point, because of the cute licensing, wasn't fully open source. It wasn't free software. And I just, I, knowing myself, I, I don't believe that I would have been using KDE at that under those conditions. Now, I can't say for sure, obviously, because I wasn't using Linux at all at that time. Um, but certainly, if I was, if I could take my, my current self, put myself back there, I'd have been a GNOME person. And frankly, GNOME 1 was a lot different than GNOME 2 anyway. And GNOME 2 is kind of the, the version that I really have most aversion to, because uh, I, I use GNOME 3 
um, all the time at work. Fun fact. Um, KDE at home, GNOME 3 at work. That's a pretty good mix. Uh, let's see, GNOME doc repair. Okay, yeah, so that's kind of useless. But there's this one tool called GNOME-doc-tool, which is um, a lot like docbook to HTML, in fact. It will take your your XML document and transform it into an HTML document or XHTML or any variety of, uh, let's see, no, that's that, that's it. HTML, XHTML, it can also, it will also create a CSS document to accompany your HTML. Yeah, so let's do gnome-doc-tools and I'll type in HTML and then I'll type in the example.xml file that I've got here, my demo folder, and it does something silently. Um, I'll do a list. Example.html exists. So let's open it up in, for instance, conqueror example.html. There it is. My sample document. Quite quite simple little document here. But um, boy, does it look good. Like really, really nice. It's got a little um, sidebar with a table of contents. It's got uh, back buttons and a header and a footer. Uh, it's got a nice looking um, title, attribution, text, yeah, looks really, really nice. Like, legitimately, uh, really well, really, really attractive um, document here. So that's kind of an easy way to get a really, really quick and simple style into a document. And if you want the CSS, right now, the um, CSS is just, it's just using the system, you know, the default stuff that got installed with Linux doc tools. So you don't have to point it at any special CSS file. It's already it already knows how to do that. Actually, let's take a look really quick to see if it to see what this. Yeah, this is quite nice too. The format. I'm always curious about these auto generators because sometimes the the the, the code that it produces just doesn't look very readable, and I I find that that's problematic. Uh, it turns out that the CSS is embedded into the file. So it's not pointing to something that was installed with doc tools. It is. It just embeds it right into the into the document, which admittedly, um, you know, that takes up a lot of space. I mean, that is that that makes for a larger document. Um, specifically, about 400 lines more code than arguably you would need. You can extract that um, a little bit by just doing GNOME doc tool CSS and then example.html and that just dumps out what it would do you know it would it dumps out just the CSS just the raw CSS which is quite nice because really honestly it's 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 a really good looking style sheet I mean it's not blowing me away or anything but in terms of sane defaults for 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 human readable or human presentation for humans it it is quite nice It, it looks it looks it looks good. So if you want to rip off the hard work that uh, you know the, the people have done for GNOME documentation, then you can really easily with GNOME-doc-tool. Now notice it requires XML as input. So if you're using ASCII doc, actually, you know what? Let's just test that before I say that for sure. I didn't. I don't know that I actually tried it. Yeah. Okay. So it does. It 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 needs XML as as input does not understand ASCII doc. Now ASCII doc, as we've said in the previous uh, in the previous Linux doc tools episode 366, ASCII doc's uh, export or it, it it converts to docbook. It is basically a simplified front end to docbook. So when you process ASCII doc with the ASCII doc conversion tool, uh, which if you'll recall is called ASCII doc, 
or ASCII.py, I guess, technically. When you convert that, or when you use that tool, rather, it either as an intermediary step or as a destination, depending on the options that you provide, it outputs to DocBook, which is XML. And so if you're writing in ASCII doc, you could still use the GNOME-doc-tool by first outputting to DocBook and then feeding that file to GNOME-doc-tool. So that's a really simple way to to utilize the hard work of the GNOME project for some, um, I guess, yeah, let's just call it some, some pleasant styling. Although so far I've been really pleased with all of the defaults of the Linux doc tool output, so no complaints, really. Okay, next up is the GTK doc tools. That's not the name of the thing. It's it's a prefix, sort of GTK doc dash. It all actually kind of starts with GTK docize. That's GTK D-O-C-I-Z-E. It's like you're 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 making your documents into GTK docs. GD, GTK docize. And that's a, a quick command that you can do. Now th- this GTK doc dash whatever, starting with doc eyes, um, they, they work, they, they do assume, just like uh, GNOME doc prepare, they assume that your project has been set up with auto tools. Uh, or CMake, actually, you could do CMake as well. Um, and and this, is, this is yet another reason why I really do believe that GNU auto tools is, is a really great idea. I mean, it honestly is. Um, I think I've raved about it before. I, I've done a Hacker Public Radio episode about it. I'll probably end up doing one for, for GNU World order as well because I'm sure it's it's somewhere in here in Slackware. Uh, and auto tools is it just makes sure that every everyone's kind of talking the same structure. So if you've got your tool, if you got your project in auto tools, then you kind of know that you can take your project, throw it at RPM build for instance, and suddenly end up with, with very little work for your spec file, you can end up with an RPM installable by DNF or YUM or RPM. You can end up with that with, with minimal effort. Just the, the barest bones of a spec, uh, a spec file is the, um, is the thing that, that generates an RPM. Uh, you can do the same thing with, with a Debian to, to generate a Debian package. It's just really, really easy when, when everything's already configured for uh, with GNU auto tools. It's dot slash configure, make, make install, that sort of incantation. It, it's just super sim- simple. You do have to work a little bit at the GNU auto tools. I'm not going to say that's a breeze. It, it can be that there's there are things to consider. Sometimes you have to sort of hack around some stuff and figure out the right place for things to go, and the right directives, and so on. But once you do that once in auto tools then you can you can repurpose all that work with lots of other things gtk the, the gtk docs system included so gtk docs doc eyes if i go into a package or into a, a directory project with that configured with auto tools all i have to do is do gtk gtk doc eyes and it 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 runs some some process silently, return zero upon success. And if I do an ls again, then I have new files in here. gtk-doc.m4, gtk-doc.make, and probably some other things that I'm not seeing right now. But what it has done is made some, so it's generated some new macro files for my make environment that I could then, you know, now I could, I could run gtk-doc something against this project and end up with special some special documentation and the documentation um, at, at sort of its most basic is a little bit 
something like doxygen. If you've ever seen doxygen, D-O-X-Y-G-E-N. Doxygen is a code a documenting, documenting system that you, you can pretty much point it at a code base and tell it to document that code, and it kind of runs through all the code, pretty much no setup involved. It just runs through the code and pulls out things like function names and class names. And it looks at, for instance, the functions, what arguments or, or parameters, what, what does it require when, when being called, and what does it return upon success. That's, those are the, I mean, the, those things, the name of the function, the arguments required, and the output upon success, or, or rather the output to expect, that's kind of, that's, that's what you need. I mean, if you even think about something as simple as a Unix pipe, that's kind of really all we need for that to happen, too. And you can't get any more basic in terms of programming than that, I don't think. You've got, you've got the name of the command, you've got what options and arguments it, it can accept, and, and which ones are required, and then it has the expected output. Knowing that, you can invoke a command correctly, and you can confidently pipe it into something else because that something else you you again you know it you know the name of the command you know what input it can accept does it accept standard in as input as long as it does you can pipe it and then you know what that'll output and that's that's how we do things in unix where where you know you're doing an ls of slash i don't know slash var slash log packages linux doc dash tools blah and now i know actually i didn't want to do it LS. I wanted to do a let's do a cat, and this is a useless. This, we don't need to do a cat. In fact, I'm not going to, out of out of respect for people who hate pointless uses of cat. So I'll do a, a less of this location of this file, and then I'll pipe it to let's just do grep, and then we'll do docbook. And the only reason I can do that is because I know the name of the command is less. I know that the required argument for less is the uh, file the name of a file or a path which I've given it and then I can and I know the output will be a line delimited listing or, or the lines of that file and then just pipe that to grep because I know grep can accept input from standard in which is where this what, what the pipe is doing it's taking the stuff going to out stuffing it back into in and we'll, we'll grep through that for the string doc book and sure enough, I have this screen full of, of all the doc book mentions, of which there are many. So with code, it's the same kind of deal. You know, you need, you, you know that you've gotten this, this library that you're going to include, but you need to know what the library gives you, what it makes possible for you to do. And in terms of code, what a library does for you when you're coding is it provides extra functionality. And so you need to know the names of the functions that it has uh, that, that you can use. You need to know what that function requires when you call it. If you're doing, I don't know, a um, you know convert foo to bar function, well, according to the, the function, the, the way that the function works, it needs to know what foo is, uh, and maybe it needs to know where bar, where you want bar to go. You're going to convert a file from something to some place, some other thing in some other place. Well, it needs to know what place, and maybe it even needs to know what format. So that would be required information. And then what's it going to output? Uh, it'll probably output, ideally, a file object. It'll create this file object on your on your hard drive, I guess. So that would be the information you'd need to know from that function. But maybe it, it instead, instead of making a file, maybe it, um, I don't know, creates a data stream that you're, you're expected to then process um, bit by bit. I don't know. Whatever, right? You need to know kind of how it's going to 
end up, what, what you're going to end up with. And that's what code documentation typically includes. And that's what something, for instance, like Doxygen, which requires really no preparation whatsoever. The, the code base can be practically any code base. Just point Doxygen to it, it'll look at it and dump everything that it finds. That said, with more preparation from Doxygen, you can get fancier output. And in fact, with GTK Doc, it's kind of the same thing. It, it's, it's a way to enable developers to foresee that their code is going to be documented, and it provides them with some markup in their code to help that process along. So one of the, the major ways that a developer can help document the code that they are writing is in comments. Comment blocks are very important, and a lot of us think of comment blocks as, well, some of us think of them as just fun to read, right? Oh, look at the funny thing the developer has said here. That's always fun and kind of, you know, interesting. But really, more importantly, document, well, comments a lot of times serve as inline documentation so that when you are going through to find, I don't know, to fix a bug or to just see how something works, a comment may give you some more, some, some context. You know, right before you get to a function, it might, it might explain what that function does. Converts foo to bar so that bar can then be processed by blah. Great, that's very helpful. Now we know what this mysterious looking function that just juggles a bunch of stuff around in memory and we don't really understand what it's doing. Now we know what it's doing because that comment sort of spelled it out for us in plain English. But giving structure to comments is is a really, really powerful thing. And, and you'll see this in a lot of documentation systems is it will leverage the ability to parse comments, to identify and parse comments as as metadata. So for instance, in, in GTK doc, uh, a developer can do a comment block and uh, they can make it a section and they can make the section, they can title the section as something uh, and then they can do a short description in which maybe they're saying, you know, uh, the central conversion um, uh, functions for such and such an application. They can do title. They can title the section or the, the, the documentation section. They can do... Um, they can qualify it. Like, is it how stable is this? Is this is this considered stable? Is this still a work in progress? How do we qualify this? Uh, what this references? What this includes? They can even include an image, like the the application icon, and then just a description of 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 what they think this this stuff does, or what they think it would be used for. Rather, hopefully, they would know what it does. Um, and that kind of can serve as the preamble for a section of documentation. And then, of course, they're writing the code, which GTK doc then processes as code and documents accordingly. And that could be really, really useful for other developers, well, for the developer themselves later on, once they've gone away and worked on something else and now are coming back to maintain this stuff, they'll, they'll refer to their own documentation. But it can also be good for other developers, because then you get to, you get a good listing of, of all the stuff that that something is is making available to you. So that's GTK doc dash many things, and some of those many things are GTK doc dash check that uh, checks your documentation project to make sure that everything is um, is in order. GTK doc dash um, make HTML or make man or make PDF, all that sort of thing. That's involved. Uh, that's included rather. So if you want to output your documentation to any of those formats, it's as simple as one command. 
again, we got here more or less through GTK docize, so that just kind of adds some make files to your project to make the GTK document system um, active. Uh, GTK doc-scan and GTK doc-scan G object, it's gobj, G-O-B-J, scan gobj. The, this uh, scans a directory of, of code to uh, document it. Now, none of those commands you generally actually have to use yourself because you'll a lot of those things will be um, included in the make file process once you do the GTK docize. However, if you don't want to, for whatever reason, include the GTK stuff in your in your project, you don't have to, and you can instead run these commands separately to end up with the same results as a GTK docized project, and that's why they're here. They're the separate. They're the broken out bits of this intended overall make file process, and that's what GTK docize or GTK docs uh, can do. Um, I will try to remember to include a link to the GTK docize specifics in the show notes. Um, although I imagine if you're writing GTK code, you're probably already on top of all that sort of thing. So probably doesn't really probably don't need the link to it but I'm going to include it nevertheless just in case you're curious maybe you don't you've never heard of this sort of thing before this explains um, what comments what comment hooks are available that GTK doc can then turn into nice pretty documentation and so on so that's GTK docs next one after the GTK doc blob uh, or collective is the install catalog command. Install catalog is, I'm gonna kind of say that it's maybe arguably an artifact of of a, a less modular sensibility, if that's fair to say. I'm probably causing someone to bristle at that, but okay, so here's what install-catalog does. Install-catalog, manage, according to its own man page, manages an SGML or XML centralized catalog. A catalog in terms of, I guess, SGML, although I don't think in terms of SGML, but in terms certainly of DocBook, which is the, the, the best I can do to think about that sort of stuff, is a, it's a file that defines entities for your project. And an entity is um, sort of an alias, or maybe even, I guess you might call it a pointer to something bigger and better. Specifically, what Oasis group calls an open catalog is a set of directives defined by Oasis, mostly used for defining equivalences between formal public identifiers and real file names. So for instance, let's let's look let's look in user share sgml and then I'll go to docbook sgml-dtd-4.5-dash uh, slash docbook.dtd. This is not a catalog file, but it is an entity, uh, or, or it helps with entities. So uh, this, for instance, says that if you want to point, if you want to put a put part of your boilerplate in docbook is the the type of doc document that you're you're creating. So a doc type, and so you'll you'll see declarations in docbook files where it. It says, for instance, doc type book public quote something oasis slash dtd doc book version number uh, language and so on. And it's it's quite a quite a big chunk of 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 text to remember. But there are these things called entities, and it allows you to use shorthand 
to to say essentially the same thing with a much smaller screen uh, um, string. I used to use this at work a lot of times. There would be things like ampersand. I'm just gonna make something up. Ampersand f b d semicolon, and that we would identify as an entity in a separate file in an entity file actually .ent and as long as you had that included, then your local toolchain would bring it in, and anytime a document referenced ampersand fbd semicolon, it would know that that was actually an entity, which expanded to, for the print, for the rendering, of foo bar documentation system. And so it was a lot easier to write ampersand fbd semicolon than foo bar documentation system. So that's one thing that entities can do for your workflow. It's quite convenient. Catalogs point to locations on the drive where all of these different things get defined. And sometimes that's, um, sometimes it's, it's, I'm going to argue, more trouble than it's worth, possibly. Not all the time. I mean, there are some that are really important. For instance, here's the catalog file of uh, user share sgml sgml-iso-entities-8879.com. 1986/catalog and in this file there are things that are defined to add uh, latin characters diacritical marks box and line drawings num- numeric and special graphics um, and so on so there's a there's a bunch of of fancy rendering options essentially happening in this catalog which is really just listing a bunch of entity files. And having this on the system level in user share, SGML, whatever, I'm going to say, to to my mind, I'm sure it's very useful, but it, it does also kind of assume um, th- that the system you're working on is set up. It's a, it's a development machine for technical documentation. And while that is a reasonable expectation in some ways, it is also a little bit less, I would say, um, a little bit less modular in feel. I mean, it is modular by definition. It's very modular. Maybe maybe that's my problem. Maybe it's too modular. But what I'm saying is that I couldn't, for instance, take my doc book project that relies on on these entities and these catalogs to be present on the machine and, and just put it on any other computer and render it as expected. There would be lots of failures. They wouldn't be able to find these files. And I feel like that sometimes is a drawback to this whole to this whole system really um i think if i was going to have really specific special entity files i would prefer to have them in the project itself even if that means redistributing the same old entity files time and time again i just feel like everything sort of being in one bundle would make me feel personally a little bit more secure about about my project's uh, integrity and in a way i think that's a, a big drawback of systems like sphinx and docbook and um, those are the two that come to mind, actually. I thought I had a third one, but those two come to mind immediately. Sphinx and DocBook. There, there's a, a big tool chain that you're kind of relying upon, and that sometimes makes me feel nervous about the, the, the integrity of my project going from system to system. That may or may not be a problem for you. You know, if you're at work working on this stuff, it's probably not a problem at all because you know that your work computer is always going to be set up for that, and there'd be no reason, and in fact there's probably lots of reasons not 
to then take your your work and put it somewhere else. But if you're uh, living on a laptop and a desktop and a mobile device and you're syncing them together with Git and you're working on your documentation, it's going to be tough possibly to make sure that you've got that tool that that full tool chain installed on all of your devices. It just might not be something that's realistic. Whereas something such as Pandoc, it just kind of works magically. It just kind of does the conversion. And and that's a little bit, there's there's some freedom in that. You feel a little bit better about, okay, well, all I really need is this text here, this command there, and I'm good to go. I can render whenever I need to render. Now, th- that said, the the practicality of needing to render in, at a moment's notice is is something, you know, that might, that may or may not apply to you. Uh, in real life, I, I find that, generally speaking, when I'm working on something in DocBook, I can work, uh, certainly I can work on it on pretty much any, com- on any computer, on any device. As long as it has a text, a text editor, I can work on, on the DocBook. Now, I can't necessarily render it, but, but truth be told, you don't really need to render, usually. I mean, that's kind of the last step. When you're done, you render, you publish, that's it. That's the workflow. So the, 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 the fear of not being able to produce a very pretty output at a moment's notice could be not all that important, depending on kind of your your workflow and how you actually like to to run your run your publishing business. But that's that's install catalog. It, it keeps track of catalogs, which keeps track of entity files, which may or may not really apply to you beyond um, the the very basics. Okay, next up is JW. JW is a wrapper around Jade. Jade is a toolset for SGML, and I guess we may as well talk about SGML now because um, it's something that that I've been avoiding, um, but should probably should probably give it a little bit of a hat tip here. So SGML is the standard generalized markup language. It is the uh, it is, I guess, you could say it was the the YAML to XML's JSON, if you think of it that way. Or do I have that? No, I have that correct. I think I have that correct. JSON is YAML, correct? I don't know. Either way, what I'm trying to say is XML is a subset, more or less, of SGML. SGML was developed. Well, it's it's got a long history. It started apparently with something just called GML, which was a markup language developed at IBM, I think like a long time ago, and then SGML kind of came around and tried to standardize a bunch of that stuff. And from SGML, some people came up with this idea of, or well, somebody, the the W3C, came up with this idea of XML, an extensible markup language, which is, it, it, it is a subset, it, it is an, an SGML language, right? Or a, an S, SGML implementation, I guess. So even though I think I've never had any experience with SGML. I guess I technically have because I use XML uh, a heck of a lot. HTML is also uh, considered sort of a subset of SGML uh, or 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 similar enough, I guess. I, I don't a, the HTML history what what with XHTML happening and and sort of coming back around um, is kind of kind of strange and kind of uh, difficult to, to wrap my head around, especially with HTML5 being sort of its own thing. But either way, you, you, th- that sort of, that tradition of marking up language, I mean, the very antithesis of markdown, right? I mean, it's, it's the, it's the idea of, well, we're going to have these tags 
and these tags are going to wrap around our content and the tags will never print they will never be they are always considered uh, contextual or or semantic data about the content but it's not to be um, revealed on its own the thing about sgml is that sgml I mean, it is its own thing. So there is XML, and you can validly say, oh yeah, I'm a user of SGML by way of XML, but you're not using SGML. SGML is its own thing. It has its own implement, it has its own uh, it, it, the tools that, that, that are meant for it. Uh, it has its own style sheet language. It's uh, rather than using XSL, which is what XML uses, or CSS, which is what HTML uses, it uses something called DSSSL, which apparently is scheme-based, which I did not know. Um, and so, yeah, it's 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 a whole different ball of wax, and it's it's something that I don't really want to get into myself because I'm quite happy with XML. Thank you. Don't need to explore SGML all that much myself. I could I could be wrong. I could be missing out on something very, very cool, very exciting. But at least for now and, and ever since I heard about SGML, I'm, I'm quite happy to just settle for DocBook. That said, JW, which is Jade Wrapper, is a, it's a shell script. You can look at it. It's in user bin. Uh, it's a shell script that converts a a docbook file to some other format and we've already seen it um, docbook to dvi docbook to html docbook to man docbook to pdf docbook to ps and so on those are all um, wrappers i guess or, or aliases for for jw which itself is a wrapper for this this tool called jade jade is uh, or rather open jade Jade is the, well, the analogy would be the markdown command. Remember, we talked about markdown.pl um, back in episode 366. The command for which markdown is named, uh, it's the thing that takes your markdown and converts it to HTML. Uh, it, it is the XSLT proc of docbook. XSLT proc being the thing that takes your docbook and turns it into something else. It is the ASCII doc of ASCII doc. It's, it takes ASCII doc, converts it to something else. That's what Jade does for SGML and JW. The same thing. It, it, it invokes Jade. It says, I, I should actually check. I'm going to do a find in packages for a file called Jade. Maybe I'll do asterisk jade because I don't know if it's called open jade or just jade. Nothing. Okay, so it must be somewhere within um, within packages. So I'll do a grep of packages uh, for the word jade, I guess. Oh, it's going to take forever. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Yeah, so there's, anyway, there's, oh, it, I think it's actually installed in this package, Linux doc. Oh, that's funny. Okay, so maybe we'll find out more about Jade shortly here, because from what I just grepped, it looks like it should be in here somewhere. I'm not convinced, though, because I don't see it, and we would have already passed it. Certainly, if we're on JW now, we should have seen Jade. Anyway, oh, there it is, Open Jade. Okay, there, that's the answer to my question. Okay, so we'll get to Jade in a moment. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Point is, Jade is, a con is the central, the primary conversion command for this toolset for SGML. And it just so happens that because DocBook is XML and XML is a subset of SGML, it just so happens that this Jade wrapper happens to interpret or, or recognize uh, DocBook. Oddly, it says, for the moment, JW does not handle XML only SGML. I don't know if there's some subtlety about DocBook that I've, that I've, that, that has, that's gone 
over my head so far, and it's not actually XML, and it's actually SGML, or if that's just an out-of-date line. But it clearly says in the man page that it converts docbook files or some other SGML-based format to other formats, including HTML, RTF, PS, and PDF. Remember, never use RTF. Uh, I'm saying that. It doesn't say that. So I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what, what the meaning of this is. It could be a, a startling revelation for me. Um, but it, to my mind, I've always heard DocBook was XML, and um, it, it could just be an out-of-date out of date thing that it is... Um, it also happens to be SGML. Uh, or maybe it is treating the DocBook differently... I'm not sure. Point is, JW is a wrapper to convert your docbook into another file format, but you probably won't use it because it has things like docbook2, HTML, docbook2, PDF, and so on. Okay, so that's JW. Getting close to the end of the episode, I realized we did not take a coffee break this time around, and I, I meant to, I kept meaning to, and I, and I kept seeing the next one, and I think... I would think, oh, I'll just cover this one last one, and then we'll go to coffee break. Didn't happen. Sorry. Um, I've been sipping my coffee all along. I do apologize. But uh, we may as well just press on now. We're not we're not going to get through it all this time, uh, unfortunately. But that's okay, because this is all very interesting, I'm sure. Okay, so the next one up is... Linux doc. That's that's the one, right? That's the that's the one that this that that we get the name from. The package is named for this. Well, Linux doc is it is kind of the the main I guess the main command that 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 one would associate with this um, this package possibly. Um, I mean, if if someone was installing Linux doc, they they I would imagine they would probably possibly be doing it for this one. And uh, there's a lot that gets revealed here with Linux doc. One of the most important ones is this concept of a DTD. That's Delta Tango Delta. It stands for a document... I don't know what it stands for. I'm horrible with acronyms. DTD stands for Document Type Definition. That's what it is. Definition. Doc Type Definition is in terms of, I guess, SGML, but also XML. But I guess definitely SGML, right? Um, Doc type definition is it's the key. It is the thing that defines what elements are available in your in in the markup language that you are uh, using and or inventing. So, for instance, if you were to look at the at the doc book DTD, which I mean I literally have it right here on my desk. Um, not not for this episode. I just I literally keep this on my desk. This is that's how much I use and appreciate DocBook. I have DocBook 5, the definitive guide, right here on my desk. Um, so if you were to look at the DTD, you would find things like um, a brev, abstract, Excel, acknowledgements. And these are all acronym, address, author, what is it, author name? Author, no, author, I think. Wow, there's a lot of A's. Um, it's really, really deep in here, actually. I can't even find author. But anyway, it exists. There are, th these are the, uh, there it is, author, yeah, author, and then the other one, author group. So anyway, you would find the, the a list of all the different um, elements that you're allowed to use in your document, the, the tags, for instance. So if you were to look at, for instance, I guess this would have been the better one to use, a, a theoretical non-well, I shouldn't say theoretical and non-existent, because somewhere out there, there is a DTD for XHTML. Um, I don't have that on me, so I'm not going to go look it up. But if you were to look at a DTD for 
HTML, you would see definitions for elements such as p for paragraph, div for what does div stand for? Div, um, uh, uh, strong for a bold, and em for emphasis, and so on, right? Th these are common HTML elements that we all know, we all use. It's something that, that just exists. We understand that it exists. And because it exists in the DTD, you can then compose a document that uses those things. Now, if there's not a spec out there that makes sense for you, that, that, that works for you, you could make up your own DTD. So for instance, one of the things that I used to really want to do for a long time was to create kind of a screenplay uh, format, a, a DTD really, for screenplays, um, so that I could write and process screenplays as it, in the same way that I write and process docbook. Now I never did that and now I don't deal with screenplays at all in real life so it doesn't it's, it's far less pressing for me. But you could imagine a DTD for a screenplay definition such as a doc type screenplay that would be our opening sort of d declaration. Well, our opening would be XML version equals 1.0 or whatever. And then we would do uh, exclamation mark doc, to, uh, doc type screenplay. And we're just making that up, right? There, there's no doc type screenplay. Well, now there is. That's what the DTD does. So doc type screenplay, square bracket, and then our elements. We might have an element, for instance, um, we, we might have a slug. And in the slug, we, we could put, yeah, as part of our slug element, we know that the, or not part of, but the uh, children of our slug could be the, um, the, the, the set, the interior, exterior, uh, the location, the name of the location, and um, this, uh, I guess this, the status, is this a continuous scene, or is it a new scene, or what, what kind of scene is it? Close parentheses, and then the next element might be something like, I don't know, um, dialogue, and so on. So you can just create this stuff, and then when you're writing your text document, you know those are the elements you're allowed to use, and if you use an element that's not in the DD, DTD, then you understand that you will get a, a rejection from your XML processor. It will not understand what to do with that element or how to treat that element because it was not already defined for it in the DTD. Okay, so that's what a DTD is. And I said all of that because what Linux doc the command reveals is that there is a Linux doc DTD. Um, a couple of them actually. There's a Linux doc 96 and 97 and there was some other one I, I didn't bother looking at. Uh, and these Linux doc DTDs add special um, uh, entities to to the the documentation that is generated by the Lin by by the core Linux team when they're documenting various parts of Linux. And uh, there's nothing super exciting here. I mean, in terms of like looking at what elements that they've they've added, it's not really that exciting. There's um, there are some things for special characters that I think nowadays we wouldn't even blink an eye at. They're just you know normal Unicode characters, not that big of a deal. There are some elements for here's a URL, uh, here's an HTML URL, here's where's what did I say? Oh, um, entity latex, entity um, quote ampersand, all kinds of things that, yeah, I guess these days I just, I don't, can't even imagine why we would need these to be specially um, included in that 
in in this DTD. I mean, it's got to be included somewhere, I guess. But but does there need to be a separate one? I I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. Either way, though, if if they're running their SGML through a processor like Jade, OpenJade, then they have to be able to point to the DTD that tells that tool how to treat certain elements, and that's what this DTD does. It also reading the man page for Linux stock revealed. Or it reveals that RTF is included as an output, a prominent output format, because apparently Windows documentation system, whatever that is, it was based on RTF at some point. I don't, I can't imagine that that's true anymore, because everything I've ever read is that Microsoft has walked away from RTF years ago, literally years ago, like 12 years ago. So I, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's up to date or not. But there you go. That's. That's what Linux Doc um, sort of refers to. What does Linux Doc actually do? Well, it, it does what about half a dozen other commands do as well, and that is it converts documents, and it converts specifically, um, what did it say? Converts, uh, yeah, converts uh, things written in Linux Doc DTD, SGML, to some other output format. So for instance, if you want to output it to just HTML, then you do Linux doc dash uh, dash dash uh, backend equals HTML, and then whatever you want to transfer uh, to convert, and it outputs your your Linux doc documentation file to HTML. Same thing goes for uh, GNU info, for instance. Linux doc dash dash backend equals info will put it out to to an, a dot info file or whatever those info files um, end in. And it's got a processor for LYX and for LaTeX and for RTF and for just plain text. So yeah, it's a pretty handy little tool, I guess, if you're writing stuff for Linux documentation, which I am certainly not, so I will probably never use that particular command um, for anything. I, I can't imagine needing that for anything. Um, but there you go. That's Linux doc. That's the reason the package exists, technically speaking. Okay, I think we're probably at the end of this episode. There are still uh, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 18 to go. But a lot of them are um, can be kind of be put together. Um, like one of them is OpenJade. We've already kind of talked about OpenJade, so we will probably won't spend too much time on that. Uh, some of them are SGML to this or that, uh, as far as I can tell, and so on. But the the really exciting one that I can't wait to talk about, uh, but I will wait to talk about, is XML2. XMLTO. It's a great command. I love it. I use it all the time. It's a really nice little converter. Uh, why are there so many converters in this package? I don't know. I do not know why there are so many. I mean, out of, let's just, again, kind of randomly randomly estimating, let's say there are about 42 commands here in this in the bin section of Linux doc tools. I, I gotta estimate that at least half of them, I'm gonna even say like 60% of them, are converters. I mean, you know, ten of them are are, are just aliases or, or pointers to JW. So I mean, do they do they count? In a way, they do. I think because they are part of this package. Uh, ASCII doc is a is a converter. The GTK doc ones, okay, those kind of squeeze by. Although GNOME doc tool doesn't. Um, and then you got JW and OpenJade, and then all these the RTF two RTF, which we haven't covered yet, and so on. There's just a lot of them there that do essentially sort of the same job, A2X. I forgot about that one. That was the first one we talked about. Uh, why do they all need to exist within this package? I don't know. I don't know if it's just because people 
came up with their own version of a thing that they do frequently, and so they and, and they just kept adding it to Linux doc tools, or or if there's actually a workflow out there that actually relies on these somewhere, I don't know, I'm not sure, but they exist, and so we're going to talk about them, and we'll do that next time on the New World Order. Listening to the GNU World Order Ogcast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Ogcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. Just the tape. Relax. It is not the day before or the week between. It's just the show.